Welcome to the Rooflines podcast, produced by Virginia Realtors, where we serve up real talk about real estate in Virginia. On each episode, we break down trends in the housing market and help you make sense of what's going on in Virginia's real estate industry and what's on the horizon. Hello. Today, we have a special guest for today's episode, Mr. Guy Allen. Mr. Allen is a respected real estate broker in the Commonwealth of Virginia and has been in the industry for over 40 years, currently running his brokerage in Northern Virginia. He served as a regional vice president for the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, also known as NARAB, and is a former chief of staff for the organization. He is also part of the Virginia Realtors Board of Directors. How are you doing today, Mr. Allen? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. We really appreciate you for um, being out here. 40 years in the real estate industry. Yeah, 40. 40 years. 40 plus. <laughs> 40 plus years. Yes. What motivated you to get into the real estate industry? Well, a couple of things motivated me. I, I was, um, at a very young age, I was a touring basis. And, of course, there's a lot of breaks in between there that, you know, you didn't have income. Uh, I was relatively young. So I wanted to find something that was a little bit more stable. Mm-hmm. And there's this little book called the Business Opportunities Magazine. And I just started looking through this Business Opportunity Magazine and I saw an opportunity that said, become a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what is that? So it's, and I started reading it and I ordered a little kit. It was about 50 bucks to order the kit. And um, he said that it, what you could do is you could get money from the bank and lend it to other people and they would give you what was called points. I said, that's pretty interesting. I was really intrigued with mortgage banking. Uh, Maggie L. Walker, who was right here in Richmond, Virginia, basically she started the first uh, minority bank called Penny Savings Bank, and she mm-hmm. was the first woman minority. That's right down on, um, and then it's called Consolidated Bank in, in, in Richmond, if they're still around, I don't know, but that's what kind of motivated me. I said, if she could do it back in the 20s and 30s, I should be able to do something now. So that kind of motivated me, and she's been kind of like my idle in the business you know, over the years. That bank, is it in um, Jackson Ward? It's in Jackson Ward. I think my barber shop is right next to it, and I walk by it every day, and every I always day. was like, I think it's called like First People's Bank or something like that. Yeah, it was consolidated on First Street. Mm-hmm. I walk past there every day. As a matter of fact, St. Luke Hall is in Jackson Ward. I, oh. I walk past St. Luke Hall every mm-hmm. every day, going to school and going to take my newspapers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a museum in Richmond for Maggie L. Walker. Right so, you, so you were born and raised in Richmond? I was born in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. My family moved here when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, uh, we grew up in the projects. It was rough uh, until I was able to get my music career mm-hmm. on the road with my brother. We went on tour, and uh, we stayed out and never came back home. Oh, what, what instrument did you play? I played bass guitar. My brother played trombone. Oh, wow. He's he's a Berkeley grad. He's a much better musician than me. (laughs) But um, I've played a lot of clubs over the years and toured quite a bit. So how did you start? So you said that, so how did you actually start your first mortgage brokerage? Like, how did that actually come about? Right. So um, I was living um, in Richmond and I ordered the kit Mm -hmm. and got all the forms. And back then we didn't have 
copy machines like you know now. They were like the big drums. <laughs> yeah. So I took those forms and got them all copied and um, started reading the material on my own. I knew I had to figure it out, but I called a couple of the numbers that were in there, and they kind of talked me through it. said, well, you get some information from the folks, and you come down, and we'll pull their credit and turn an uh, you turn an application. We'll, we'll make a decision as to whether we're going to lend them the money or not. And then once it closes, we'll send your company a check. So I, I went down. It wasn't as hard to do back then as it is now. Mm -hmm. So I went down to get my license. It was 14 bucks to get the license to become a mortgage broker. And uh, I started running a little ads, three-line ads. And this is, I can tell you the, the, the ad, how it was, because I read it, ran it for so long. It was um, uh, first and second mortgages, any reason, any amount, called Guy Allen at Central Virginia Financial Services, and it had my number on there. I ran that ad for years, mm -hmm. and it just it continued to work. So it was when we had classified ads in the money lending section. Yeah, you sent me this um, picture earlier today, MBSG, published well, bi-monthly. Yeah. What, what's, what's, the, what's, what's in this um, picture that you sent me? Okay, the Metropolitan Business Shoppers Guide was mm -hmm. where businesses, minority businesses, would run their ads and work with each other. Mm -hmm. So um, I had, at that time, I had gotten what we call a mini eagle. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a HUD eagle, it's a big eagle that the banks have. Mm -hmm. A mini eagle is a small eagle, which for lenders and brokers, you know, to use. And when I was uh, lending, I was doing what we call hard money. So... Hard money was like subprime mm -hmm. financing. Well, my friends, uh, they helped get me in the business, said, look, if you'll give us, if you'll get uh, FHA or HUD, we'll give you all of our business, but the subprime money is just too expensive. Mm -hmm. So I got it, and I started getting a lot of recognition, and they gave me a call and said, hey, we'd like to do an interview with you about how you got into the business and w what kind of programs you have. So I started doing FHA a conventional VA loans mm -hmm. at that point. So that's where that picture is in 1984. This picture is really awesome. I really hope that everybody actually gets a chance to actually see this picture. This is really, really awesome. You look really driven. In <laughs> I was young. <laughs> young and driven. <laughs> so what's the, um, the difference between your walk in the mortgage industry and in the real estate industry? In 1977, I, got, I was in the mortgage business. In 1980, interest rates were 18, 19%. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so people are crying about 5 or 6%. I'm crying about 5, 6%. <laughs> During the uh, Carter years, uh -huh. uh, interest rates were very high. And subprime, you can imagine, was probably even more. So it was 20, 24%. Mm -hmm. But interest rates were very expensive. So I had to make sure that um, uh, I kept my income going, so I got my license. I got my license in early 1980s. And um, <clears throat> one of the good things for me is that um, I was able to sell more houses because I understood how the financing worked. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know how the financing works, so they can't make the deals work mm. to make the purchases. So I learned a lot about financing very early, and um, I was able to put folks in homes that had tough situations. You can imagine back then it was pretty tough, and what we had was what they called it redlining. So certain areas they wouldn't land in. And um, I could go into a SNL, and they would have the maps on the wall. And they would 
I didn't know it then, but they would have yellow lines, blue lines, green lines, and then they had the red lines. And I looked at the map and I says, oh, this red line. I live right there in that red line. So I was in the mortgage field and couldn't lend in my own neighborhood. That is where I live. Wow. <laughs> so wow. The, the, and I guess to, to answer your question, the big difference for me is that um, when I, tr I could do both. Mm -hmm. So I would sell new homes and lend on refinance. I didn't want to lend or refinance. I didn't want to compete with the other realtors mm -hmm. that were sending me business. Mm -hmm. So I did more new home sales because there wasn't any competition amongst you know, my peers. Mm -hmm. But I had both of those uh, careers going dual. And it worked really well for me, you know, for a long time. And uh, so, so well that in 1985, uh, a gentleman came to me to purchase my company. Oh, wow. So he bought my company. He bought the building. I had bought the building over in Southside. Bought everything. And uh, I relocated to Northern Virginia, which is where I wanted to be anyway, because this, the home prices were substantially different. different. Mm -hmm. In Richmond, Average home price back then was fifty thousand dollars. I wish that was still the price now. <laughs> I wish. If you did a hundred thousand dollar loan, you were in high cotton. What? <laughs> yes, you were making a lot of money. But uh, Richmond was, um, uh, uh, you know, low low income, mm -hmm. uh, low prices, and and with rates as high as they were, people were still struggling. But they had to have money. Mm -hmm. Kids going to college, you know, they need they they had to borrow it, and I was the main resource that they would come to for those problem situations. Side by side, you know, do career with, with that business for quite some time. Mm -hmm. But in 2006, when the bottom fell out, I said, okay, I'm taking off this mortgage hat and I'm going 100% with the real estate business. And it's worked great for me ever since then. Wow. Going back to the, <clears throat> to the redlining, what would you have to do if somebody wanted to get a home in that certain area, but you knew that it's going to be hard for them to get approved in that area. What do you have to do? You have to find a different bank. So some banks will lend in those neighborhoods, like mm -hmm. the Black Banks, Industrial Bank, uh, Consolidated Bank. But the other big banks, the ones that were working with brokers like myself, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of them would lend there and some of them wouldn't. They just so for we had to go to what was called the subprime loans. Mm -hmm. Subprime loans didn't have as many restrictions for locations because they weren't like the SNLs. They were more independent um, banks. Um, so, you know, just kind of had to, to learn and know who was going to be good in specific areas and different types of loans. Even today, you know, with the appraisal bias, mm -hmm. it's still, it's just a modernized form of redlining. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for, for many years, uh, we would have to do what was called whitewash mm -hmm. the house. In other words, take everything, all the pictures down in your house that had anything to do with African-American mm -hmm. um, uh, residency. Because certain people didn't want to live behind you know, certain people. Mm -hmm. That's just face the facts. That's mm -hmm. just how it was. So we would uh, go in and look at the house at listings. If you really want to get the most that you want for this house, we're going to need to take down all the African art, all the pictures of your family, take everything down, and make it neutral. And unfortunately, that was just the way it was. Mm -hmm. Now, in today's market, it's a lot of the same thing that's coming uh, out into the open. We're hearing more about it, but it's something that's gone along, gone on every you know ever since I've been around in the business. So, yeah, that's 
that's the, it, that's the facts of the matter. As a matter of fact, there's been a couple of news reports mm-hmm. about the appraisal bias and the discrimination mm-hmm. against certain um, groups uh, or types of people. They didn't want to rent to certain groups or certain types of people or sell in, um, to certain types of people or certain neighborhoods. So we, we, we've got to do a lot more to change in diversity, equity, inclusion has come about, and now it's kind of bringing, pulling the covers off yeah. a lot of the things that have happened definitely. Uh, over the years. Definitely, for sure. Yeah, the appraisal bias <laughs> is definitely a big thing. I know I heard it. I saw a story somewhere, and um, the lady had to, or the family, they had to get a group of uh, white people to stand in front of their home and take a picture to sell it, yeah. and then the the value for the home went up by like $100,000. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, why does it... Mm-hmm have to be like that even even in now modern time yeah yeah and people would house sit you know for um when the appraisers come by they would say have i need a person to sit in the house for me and uh, uh, this particular test that happened i think it was in oakland or, or maryland where the or long island one of the two uh reports and there's a couple of them that that um that happened uh in the last few years where the appraiser came in and appraised the house, and it was African-American folks mm-hmm. living there, and it appraised $500,000 less. Well, they had a different appraiser that's come a, in. That's a big equity. <laughs> a big, I want people oh, to realize yeah. that's a really a big equity change right <laughs> oh, there. They put the other family in there, and guess what? It went up $500,000 more. So well, what was the difference with the house when the black family was living there versus the white family? Mm-hmm. Well, you tell me. <laughs> so, and um, that's kind of been a systemic uh, racism that has happened over many years. Mm-hmm. It's, nothing, it's nothing new. It's just becoming more prevalent because of video cameras. Everybody's got a phone these days. Mm-hmm. They're walking around with it. They can tell you what's going on. Yeah. And information is um, with the Internet. You can find out what's happening relatively quickly. Yeah, social media has definitely helped out a lot media, with yes. like spreading news. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now, when we look at the um, home ownership rates in the U.S. and in Virginia, in the U.S. is forty four percent for um, black home ownership rate, and in Virginia is at forty eight percent. How does how do those how do those numbers seem to you compared to back then when you started in the industry? So uh, the Actually, more folks were owning back then. Really? Um, you know, even though that some of the rates um, were kind of tough, we had farms and families were passing uh, things down. So the, the, the home ownership rate um, was tracking a little differently. Mm-hmm. So the tracking now is with the HIMDA reports. So when you take a loan application, you check the box, you're black, white, Hispanic, mm-hmm. whatever your nationality is. So the HIMDA reports show that, I guess, more of people that applied for loans, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, more were uh, homeowners versus people that just actually were on the census. Well, after the Civil War, it was a lot better than it is now. So some of the, the ratios uh, are just kind of way out of whack. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, we're worse off than we were in the 70s, mm. et cetera, but, um, because it was in the 50s before, you know. But when FHA came, 
Yeah, well, prior to FHA, you had to have 20% down to buy a house. But when FHA came around, then you only had to have 3.5%. And veterans were able to get a home with zero down. Mm -hmm. A lot of their benefits were, uh, veterans were able to use those benefits, whereas some uh, black veterans were not able allowed to use their VA benefit mm-hmm. was they wrote that to go fight a war come home and couldn't you know couldn't yeah. <laughs> buy a house use, yeah. couldn't use the GI bill well with F, with FHA and the um, a lot of the um, I'll say non-conforming programs that have come out now you could buy a house with zero down if you had good credit scores. Credit scoring scoring has made a big difference. More and more uh, African-Americans are educated, so to speak. They understand financing. They're able to save. Uh, um, they, they were able to save more money, but now it's not. You can't save as much. Why? Because of the cost of living mm-hmm. and the income, incomes are not increasing. So education, too. Mm-hmm. People don't understand uh, the benefits the bundle of rights is what we call them for ownership, owning a house. There's a lot more that goes along uh, to owning a house than just making a monthly payment. You're going to get tax benef- benefits, you're going to get equity, and you get a pride of ownership. It's yours, and it's generational wealth. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you own that property. If you pay it off, you can pass it on to your family. You can leverage against it. You can do a lot of things with um, owning a house versus Renting a house, you're just going to have receipts. Yeah. Every month, you get a receipt for your payment. Mm-hmm. In 12 months, you get a receipt. Two years, you get a receipt versus uh, owning. You're going to get equity if that property is um, appreciating. And wow, have we had some major appreciation in property values in the last oh, four or five years. You know, mm-hmm. After COVID, you know, the rates went down to 2 and 3%. Property values shot up. Mm-hmm. Um, and now... You know, people are sitting on a gold mine, $100,000, $200,000 in equity, mm-hmm. whereas it would have taken them 10, 15 years to accumulate that kind of um, mm-hmm. income. That's it for this episode. Stay tuned for part two of this interview, which will be released on Thursday, February 22nd. In part two, Mr. Guy Allen talks about his involvement with NARAB, the importance of home ownership, for all, and he also provides some valuable advice for new realtors. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Rooflines, real talk about real estate in Virginia. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to Rooflines on your favorite podcast platform. If you have ideas for future podcast topics, please share those with us by emailing rooflines at virginiarealtors.org.